When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good afternoon, everyone, and uh, Happy New Year to all of you. My name is Andreas Steno, and it's a great pleasure to be back hosting the Real Vision Daily Briefing here on the first true trading day of 2023. And what a day it's been. Um, Tesla's down more than 10% again in an overall negative day on equity markets. Energy suffers big time. Natural gas slides below $4. And the US dollar is uh, back in fashion in foreign exchange markets again, as we've seen lower bond yields across the globe. So welcome to 2023. It's going to be a year of great macro turbulence again, it seems. Energy obviously off to a bad start to the year. And therefore, we are going to ask the question today whether the same playbook for energy holds in 2023 as it did in 2022. And uh, I'm pleased to be joined by one of our tremendous regulars, Tony Greer, founder of TD Macro. Tony, Happy New Year. Good to see you again. Happy New Year, Andreas. Great to see you. Um, I'm dying to find out who you're going to ask the oil question to. <laughs> Let's try you, Tony. Um, obviously, a bad start uh, to the year for energy. Um, Tesla suffers big time as well, but um, speak to this turbulence that you've seen in today's price action. Yeah, there's a couple of things going on today, Andreas. Like, it's the typical start of a year where there's a couple of things, you know, taking place that I could have seen happening with my crystal ball. And there are a couple of things happening today that are hitting me and my PL like a frying pan to the side of the head, and it's really hurting. So, to start with what, uh, you know, to pick up where you left off, let's talk about that big breakdown in Tesla first, right? Picking up where it left off, right? Changing the calendar has not changed anything for some of these technical technical moves in the tech stocks, right? We've been, we were talking about Tesla and we were talking about the potential crash pattern that we recognized and that's what's playing out. That's what's weighing on tech. Now you've got Apple following suit right behind it with another big breakdown through what looks to me like the neckline of another crash pattern. And if we're starting off the year in a bad note for Apple, we're gonna start off the year in a bad note for the stock market. Um, <clears throat> it looks like that weaker China PMI data that came out this morning that was a little bit worse than expected for December is having tremendous fallout across the commodity complex. And I'm talking hair raising fallout. I mean, we've got two Sigma slides today, Andreas, across the Bloomberg Commodities Index, Oil, XOP, XLE, the refiners, commodities, soybeans. I mean, there's an outside reversal day down in oil. Like, this is not what natural resources bulls want to see on day one. So we can pick this apart wherever you want, Andreas. Where do we start today? Well, I think it's interesting to start with the China topic. Um, one of the things that I've noted um, when I've looked into 
reopenings of other economies globally is that they actually tend to disappoint initially as a consequence of expectations being built up ahead of the actual reopening. So at least this could be one explanation for the negative disappointment to um, the PMI now number out of China this morning. But what do you make of this China reopening story? It's on everybody's lips ahead of this year, but is it something that you can trade? You know, it, it's going to have to be, right? If they're, if they're going to be honest and forthright about an actual reopening, then we should see a bounce in the economic data, right? Like that's not something that they're going to be able to hide and cover up. I mean, it should something that be something that are the next set of, you know, obvious data points that come out and start moving the markets. You know, you would think that that's a bullish commodity case. What I see on the screens today, Andreas, I can only explain like in one way to myself, if that's okay. And since I'm the only guest on the show today, that's what you're stuck with. But I guess, you know, seeing that data come out weaker than expected for November and December in China, when the whole world spent the last probably two weeks of the year pivoting their brains towards, hey, we're going to have a China reopening on the tape here. What's that going to mean for the commodity space? and probably picking up bits of commodity exposure or natural resources exposure along the way. Then we walk into this frying pan piece of data this morning where it's weaker than expected. Everybody that's long commodities that just bought them is probably a little bit skittish on the first day of the year, not wanting to take a big haircut on their P&L. And now you've got you know a confirmation data point that you're wrong. <laughs> the first thing that hits the tape is you're in trouble today. You know, so I could see this being a little bit of a kitchen sink number where this is maybe the bottom of the PMI swoon for China and we start to see a pickup into a reopening and maybe it starts off really, really slow and barely noticeable, you know, way behind what everybody thinks. You know, we kind of picture as traders, you picture reopening and that means like 40% GDP growth. You know what I mean? Like in your head where everything is just going to gush at once and it doesn't happen that way. So like you say, we probably are going to get, you know, a little bit more of a muted restart than the world's expecting. Maybe this is where everybody had a bail out of their initial commodity um, positions. And, you know, to me, even though this damage is, is very major across the commodity complex, it hasn't broken many trends just yet. So I'll be on my toes this week to see if there's follow through in all these moves and we start breaking commodity trends in the first week of the year and I'll have to throw out my first quarter playbook. But, you know, that's the way it goes, man. Um, we're going to have to roll with the tide this year. At least we've got um, what looks like a tradable gold breakout. Andreas, would you would you agree? Um, the thing that I like the most about gold is taking a step back and looking at the chart and noticing that we just held a 50% pullback at 1600 which was a pullback from the move from the lows around 1150, 1200 to the highs at around 2075. We pulled back 50% to 1600 last year, held, recovered moving averages, the dollar turned south, and gold broke out. So it looks like to me this is one of the more tradable um, you know, events or dynamics and setups that I can look at this year. Um, we, we've been bullish metals in mining since they kind of got above their um, moving averages again. And I think that's a trade that we're going to have to chase this year if the dollar is going to be on its ass. So I'm open to your thoughts as well, Andreas. What do you think about the metals and mining space? Tony, let's have a look at positioning into 2023 before we talk about the playbook for this year. I, by the way, tend to agree with your view on, on gold, but we can get back to that because if we look at positioning in the energy space first, 
it seems as if open interest is actually pretty low going into the year. What's your take on sort of the overall positioning in um, in the commodity space? It, it's certainly not something where there's a long position in any of the commodities with a bullseye on it that people are staring at to have to cash out on the downside, right? We're, we're not at the point at all where there's a large speculative bubble in anything across the commodity complex. And, you know, like you said, the open interest in oil continues to fall. It looks like a commodity that's coming off the board, for Christ's sake. And I don't really have a, a great explanation for it other than speculation is definitely not in the markets. So when I look at OI getting washed out, when I look at the spreads, the calendar spreads getting washed out back to flat territory from steeply backward dated territory, when I look at um, you know the crack spread pulling all the way back to historic support and holding, you know the oil market to me is like I like I have said a couple of times in a conversation with Cuppy, it's washed out and ready to go, you know. So these kinds of starts of the year are super disappointing. I'm hoping that is really all based on China data. I don't see positioning being an issue right now at all, and we'll know it with open interest this small if there becomes a big bubble long position in WTI or in diesel or something like that. But right now, there absolutely is not one. So, you know, I would imagine this is weak-handed players and uh, maybe guys that came in through the turn of the year long hitting the first set of bids that they see. Back to the playbook for uh, this year uh, in relation to the playbook that worked so well for you in energy space in 2022. Is it something that you can replicate and what worked so well last year? Yeah, so, you know, last year we saw the obvious attack on supply by the West. We saw China in lockdown for the better part of the second half of the year, you could say. We saw the massive SPR release, which was probably the lone seller for the second half of the year, right? A lot of those dynamics are going to be even more positive for oil on this side of the year, right? We've still got growing gasoline demand. We've still got um, the Biden administration probably coming down to the end of its SPR sales because we're on the other side of an election. And I think that the setup, as long as global gasoline demand doesn't really slide into an abyss, which is not necessarily a necessary event to happen during a recession, <clears throat> then the oil market is going to be set up to be just fine against this year, right? There are low inventories across the board. There are extremely elevated crack spreads as a result of the strong gasoline demand. We've got EMP companies, refiners, and oil services companies all printing better than expected earnings and improvements over last year. So I think we are still set up for a bull market in energy, even though the calendar has turned. I don't see a lot standing in the way of it this year, aside from, you know, unless we get to a positioning issue, unless there is less attack on supply or a slowdown in the transition to carbon neutral, or unless there's another massive SPR cell program, which if there is, then that's going to have to be the last one that we see. So I just feel like we're set up for success again, and I think that we can trudge higher this year. I don't think, I think one of the more, um, vibrant sentiment signals that I got over the holiday, just having like half an eye on things, is that the world is expecting this prolonged and very deep recession, right? I think that's what like economists are looking for. I think that that's what the big banks are looking for. And I don't know that we're set up for gasoline demand to fall necessarily, no matter what happens. And I just feel like recession fears are overblown and probably a little bit overdramatic. So 
I still think we're set up for success, Andreas. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of today's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. At least I can add that if we were to see another sellout of the SPR, then it would be of the Chinese SPR and not the US SPR because they have a strategic petroleum reserve as well and they could decide to utilize that um, amidst the reopening. Um, it, it, but again, that would be because of a reopening and that would sort of counter the effect from the selling of that SPR. But Tony, if we look at energy technically speaking now, uh, it's obviously a big blow uh, here on the first trading day of the year. but. Let's have a look at crude oil from a technical perspective. Um, what are some of the levels that you watch on the downside um, in terms of support for now? $65 level, like sort of the lows of last year, Andreas, is really relevant for me. That was the high in 2018, and then there was a slide into the lockdown, and then it was the high in 2021 when we try to break out, coming off of the lockdown lows. And then once we got above 65 we retested it twice on the downside and then rallied to 130 during the Russia-Ukraine invasion, right? So it's kind of not shocking to me that as oil came off in the end of the year last year, the pace that it went down slowed as we got to the you know low 70s. And I think that it's because that 65-70 level is still a huge, huge pivot point in the crude oil markets, technically speaking. So if we stay above there, it's really easy for me to stay bullish and not sweat it too much. If we get below there as a technician, I'm going to have to be concerned. But you know, I'm still I'm still counting on the fact that we're going to continue to attack supply, and I don't think that there is going to be the political desire to spill more of the SPR on the side of the election. I just don't. So we'll see what happens from there. But the, these companies have been in great shape. The you know you hear good news out of the CEOs and price action rules. Man, they still look great on the charts. What about the refiner's trade, Tony? I mean, we've talked about crack spreads over and over last year as sort of a measure, live measure of profitability for refiners. Um, we've seen a pullback in the crack spreads. What do you make of that and the refiner's trade now? Same type of pullback as the pullback in calendar spreads, Andreas, where we pulled back to those historic levels where the crack spread actually broke out from, which was probably in the low teens or so bounced off of that level two or three times and have now settled back into the mid-20s, low 30s. And that is really, really positive for the refiners. You know, that's a great measure of their margin. That's a great reason why, you know, Marathon Petroleum blew out earnings in their last quarter and guided the next quarter much higher. And we've seen mostly that from the refineries. So they're still going to be playing against pretty weak comps. And I think that they're set up to be some of the leaders of the oil market this year. I think that they can outperform, you know, exploration and production and certainly oil services by a large margin if the crack spread stays elevated. And that's going to be a function of global gasoline demand. That That's the global market setting the price for, you know, what they'll pay for gasoline and get cracked. So if that stays intact, refiners are going to be in good shape again this year. Ooh. Tony, um, in conjunction with this reopening, 
discussion on uh, on, on China. What do you make of copper? I mean, it, it had a nice bounce uh, during sort of the early stage of the rumors surrounding the reopening of China. But what about now? Um, is it something that's on your radar as a long trade into uh, 23 here? It is just because it's going to be a necessary part of the transition to electric battery power. And we're still at historic low inventories, no matter how you slice it. So, you know, I still lean on those comments from last year out of Freeport McMoran CEO, Richard Atkinson, who's probably, Atkinson, who's probably, you know, half talking his book, but what he's saying jives with the exchange data where, you know, he's, you know, curious to see where all the metal is going to come from for this transition to electric battery power. And I'm sure if that's something that is on his mind, it's on a lot of traders' mind and a lot of people in major industries' mind. And luckily, there hasn't been, you know, commodity prices are still historically cheap, you know, and copper is still historically cheap. So it wouldn't surprise me to be able to get up and rally from these levels. We just need to get on some kind of a solid economic footing that the market can start driving on. You know, and we certainly haven't seen that with the herky-jerk status out of China and some mixed signals in the U.S. and now this weak PMI data just been tough to get out of the gate, but it's not breaking down and it held a huge technical level on the way down. I think it was the eight, uh, the 2018 highs of around 7K, 6,500, I think, that we held on the pullback LME prices. And that's just another good sign if we hold that historic level and bounce. Obviously, we're seeing a setback, but I don't know. I can't get bearish commodities down here, Andreas. I just can't. Oh, I, tend, I start to tend to agree again. And Tony, um, if we look at equities in, in sort of a broader setting, um, obviously when Tesla, Apple, names like that sell uh, sell off, it, it weighs on an index level, right? Um, so what do you make sort of of the broader equity market during Q1, given all of the turbulence in tech? Well, you know, last year, those big tech names um, wiped a massive amount of capital out of the markets, right? Like they were the biggest percentage losers, the people, um, you know, they were long, the stocks that the public is most long and probably did the most damage to people's portfolios. So I don't know, you know, only non-traders expect a bounce after a year like that. You know, only sort of people that are praying with an A and hoping that they're gonna get their money back are thinking that these stocks are going to bounce this year. And as a trader, and, and I'm not even the most bearish tech guy out there, as a trader, I look at a year like that and I look at where the stocks were left dangling from various different technical levels. And you're like, I don't know that it's going to stop right now just because we're in a new calendar year. You know, th this stuff has still got to get washed out. It's still massively held by plain vanilla companies and probably every retail mom and pop portfolio out there. So I think we're in for more of a drawdown in big tech, which is going to mean a more of a drawdown in the broader market. You know, my, my kind of prediction for this year was for S&P down 10%, you know, which is probably a big bounce off the low. Um, but I'm definitely not positive any way, shape or form the broader market. And I can't get positive because I can't get positive tech at all. And if Google and Apple and, and um, some of the other bit larger weighted stocks, even Microsoft and Intel, they look like they have a massive, scary top, you know, that that they ran into right after the lockdown when tech was everything for that period of time. And we've given that top back and it just looks like we're going to be in for a descent from here. 
So that's how I'm playing it, Andreas. I don't know any other way until the price action proves me wrong. I I tend to agree on uh, the tech positioning. And Tony, one thing that strikes me is that we've seen such a sell-off in Tesla after Elon started focusing on Twitter. And my own thesis is that Elon is basically pissing off his client base in Tesla. So what do you make of that discussion? What's your take on why Tesla is selling off so hard into the new year? You know, all, all I see is the chart, right? Mm -hmm. All I see is that chart that had everybody mesmerized for so many years. Stock never went down. It always bounced out of the troughs. It always made it back toward the highs. And quite honestly, mesmerized everybody that was long the stock and long the car. Right. I mean, you guys that love the car, love the stock, guys that love the stock, love their car. And there was this like mutual love affair going on. I don't really buy into the fact that what Elon Musk is doing is, you know, making people want to sell Teslas or making people want to sell the stock. I mean, it's pretty clear that he's selling the stock to pay for what's going on in Twitter. And he just knocked it into a crash pattern that maybe even guy, a guy as smart as Elon Musk is aware is out there on the chart and now it just looks broken and broken as in it's in for a return trip type of broken and you know that's the way i felt about the company before elon took this leap into a superhero costume to take on the whole you know the whole three-letter establishment and everybody else but you know I'm, I'm trying to just look at that situation pragmatically as you and look at see what it means for the markets and if you know Retail is forced to take a second look at these names that were so good to them for a decade and finally forced out of them, then that'll finally be the bottom. But unless we see a lot of retail participation and what looks like, you know, one big gag, you know, to a new low that's really killing people that are along all these names, I don't, I won't think that we found the bottom. So there's got to be some capitulation at the end of this big tech swoon. And I'm looking for that. And when I see that, then I'll be positive the S&P again, but not before. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of today's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. A bit of anecdotal evidence from Europe. I think it was this week or last week, I wrote an article. Oh, sorry, I read an article in um, in a Scandinavian newspaper. And um, the point was that from one year ago, it was basically a progressive choice to, to drive a Tesla. And now it's almost a symbol of fascism in Europe, right? Um, that, that was basically the point of the article. And I think that's maybe something worth considering from a demand perspective for Tesla. At least the press coverage of Tesla is extremely negative right now in Europe as a consequence of what Elon is doing on Twitter, not yeah. what he's doing um, within Tesla, obviously. I wanted to talk about Apple a bit more um, since it's sort of the big whale out there. We know Warren Buffett is still extremely long Apple, at least um, that is what we can see from his latest quarterly reports, right? So is Apple on your radar as well uh, from a technical perspective, Tony, into 23 here? 
Yeah, the, you know, I don't I don't trade many individual stocks, Andreas, and there was an Apple chart in my first quarter navigation plan, and it's only because, you know, this is something, and I might already be involved, I'm not exactly sure yet, but um, this is the kind of close that, you know, you want to pounce on from the short side because it looks like a crash pattern, and it's worth gambling on the downside. This is one of those chances where, you know, one of those times where the downside in Apple actually looks more promising than the upside and you can keep a pretty tight stop on it. But, you know, this breakdown looks very serious to me. So I'm going to look for this to play out and, and I'm definitely going to chase it down, you know, with a position on a couple of sustained closes below 130 because that's the whole topping pattern to me. If you look at the chart, there's five or six huge tops there. You can make a case that it's a, not a head and shoulders, but a four heads and two shoulders with a broken neckline now. So, you know, I, I don't, you don't have to know any more sometimes than, you know, Steve Jobs is no longer there. They haven't innovated in a long time. You know, the stock was redistributing and changing hands and changing ownership while all that was taking place. And the run might be over. It might be as simple as that. And I could be wrong too, but that's the way it's starting to play out. So we'll, we'll see if that's the right view. Tony, we have a few questions coming in from um, our viewers. Uh, one of them uh, relates to natural gas. We briefly touched upon natural gas uh, at the very beginning of the show. Um, obviously, it's it, at least temporarily uh, slided below $4 today. What do you make of natural gas, technically speaking? Um, and uh, the question from Dan is whether something fundamentally has changed in your view on natural gas as a consequence of the price action lately. Well, what has changed... Fundamentally is we are expecting warm weather here in the States for the next two weeks. So we're going to have a 50 degree January, right? So that is the respite that we're getting, you know, um, all that upward pressure on natural gas and natural gas storage that we saw last year heading into winter, you know, being concerned about where the supply was going to come from and you were way ahead of the storage call and now everything is just fine and weather is cooperating. Right. So the globalists and the green agenda is getting a break with the weather here. They're seeing it lower natural gas and oil prices. They'll see it have, a, you know, probably some sort of a way on inflation data. Right. If it comes off and stays off for a while, you know, natural gas is now approaching four bucks in New York. Um, you know, sitting down here at that price, which is roughly half of what it spent last year at. All that stuff is going to filter into the inflation data and probably help it drag for a little while until we run into another issue about supply, right? And God forbid we run into a period where Mother Nature goes from being completely agreeable to being completely disagreeable. We will be chasing natural gas on the upside, you know, as sure as there's a nose on our face. You know, so this is one that's really, it's, I don't have the confidence in it, Andreas, um, as a trader to play from the long side, because I, I really don't, I don't, I just don't have the confidence in either the weather or the Putin situation in Europe to know, you know, what's going to happen next in natural gas. So I'm kind of staying on the sidelines there and I'm focusing all my chips in the edge in the oil market that I think I can observe on a regular basis. And those are the things that are going on in the refineries and the EMP companies that leave a lot of data on the exchanges behind and we can look at it and say, yeah, that's a pretty strong fundamental market. I can um, also add, Tony, that on New Year's Eve, the average temperature in parts of Northern Europe was roughly 15 degrees Celsius above normal, uh, which is a lot. Um, I even think that 
uh, parts of Germany recorded um, Fahrenheit temperatures in the low 60s on New Year's Eve. It was crazy. Um, but um, in, 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 yeah, in, in, in any case, you're absolutely right. We are in the hands of Mother Nature when it comes to this natural gas trade right now. And as someone, someone tweeted to me after I mentioned this fact that um, the temperatures on New Year's Eve were so much above average. So climate change solves climate change. I actually think that was a pretty thoughtful troll tweet. To me. <laughs> but, uh, it's amazing, right? It's, it's yeah. amazing how the ball gets rolling in their direction sometimes. Yeah, uh, Tony, uh, time for a, a final few questions before we uh, leave you for this first show of the year. Um, we have a couple of questions coming in on uranium as a consequence of everything that's going on in energy space. Um, is it something that uh, you have on your radar still, or, or um, is it something that could suffer as a consequence of other um, energy prices coming down? Yeah, you know, it's 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 still very much to me a fade the green agenda trade, right? Where we, you know, you think if you think rationally about it, nuclear is the best solution, right? Pragmatically, you know, energy traders are all well aware that nuclear is the best solution, right? We get the most bang for our buck, and the waste is totally now disposable and cleanable, and you know, we can guard things and make sure that. Uh, we have a safe natural gas, or excuse me, a safe nuclear infrastructure, as safe as we can make it. So it's still a fade on the transition to carbon neutral in some way, right? If we're going to transition to carbon neutral, we're going to have to lean on nuclear energy if we phase out fossil fuels, because we know that solar and wind intermittent power isn't going to always be a constant supply source. So if we're going to lean on the other source, we're going to think that we're going to lean on nuclear, and it seems like that sector is going to be the place to be, right? We saw a huge run-up last year um, when natural gas prices were spiking and the oil prices were spiking. You had to have your eye on uranium. So there's a huge pennant flag in the URA chart in the sector ETF that I've got an eye on that's bounced off a flat bottom several times, and it's got making lower highs. So that seems to me that it could be a perfect bull flag to break out on the upside of that set of lower highs and get the trend running again. So that's something that I will jump on if it happens and gives me a couple of closes above that trend line and the moving averages. And that's definitely a trade that I will hunt down this year. So I think it's worth playing from the long side with that type of risk reward to Andreas. It kind of fits the bill. It fits the natural resources trade and it should be a trade of the future. Great summary, Tony. So to sum up the discussion of the first Real Vision Daily Briefing of the year, technology looks abysmal, technically speaking, right now. Tesla and Apple, two examples of it. And um, it's probably something you need to keep on your radar for Q1. While we're still sort of standing at a crossroads, technically speaking, in energy, uh, for now, we don't really have any confirmation that this setback that we've seen into the beginning of the year is something that you need to play on the short side into 2023 here. Rather, there are still good signs of potential support just below current levels. Tony, always a pleasure to host you despite a few technical issues today. Um, yeah, and good that. to see you again. And good to see you again, Tony. Uh, and happy new year. Uh, I wanted to leave you all with a meme uh, and Today's meme obviously relates to what's going on in Tesla. So the meme says, tried to load the Twitter app on my Tesla, then this happened and the Tesla on fire. I think that's very telling for today's price action. Tony, good to see you. Thank you for joining that us. That is awesome. Great job, Andreas. Let's put a string of uh, great daily briefings together this year, shall we, huh? 
Absolutely. I look forward to hosting you again, potentially already next week, Tony. Uh, to all of you out there, happy new year once again. Thank you for watching the Real Vision Daily Briefing. We will be back with more content throughout the year and already again tomorrow. See you there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.